Chapter Twenty Five of Brenda, Her School, and Her Club. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. Brenda, Her School, and Her Club by Helen Leah Reed. Chapter Twenty Five The Bazaar. The sun, after all, did shine on Wednesday morning, and the four and their assistants arrived bright and early at Mrs. Blair's. By ten o'clock everything was in order for patrons, and really the arrangement of the tables reflected great credit on the young girls. The table of fancy handiwork was loaded with beautiful articles. There was Nora's afghan with its rich, warm stripes. There was Belle's fine embroidery, centerpiece, doilies, and other dainty bits, chiefly for the dining-room. I cannot truly say that Brenda, though giving liberally, had contributed very much that was made by her own hands, and I have an idea that if the bottom drawer of her bureau had been examined, it would have been found to contain the majority of the unfinished things over which at one time or another she had been so enthusiastic. Not even her zeal for the bazaar had enabled her to disentangle that confusion of odds and ends. Some of the older girls at school had contributed beautiful things. One had copied an old French miniature and had had it framed in gilt. Another had painted a set of tiny chocolate cups. There were some exquisite picture frames covered in old brocade brought over from Europe by another girl. And still a third had sent some wood carvings done in a peculiar style which she had learned at Venice. An uncle of Edith, who was a publisher, had sent a number of finely bound books. Then there were many smaller and less expensive things, so that it seemed as if every taste must be suited. "'Oh, how lovely!' exclaimed Ruth, as she stood for a moment beside the flower-table with Edith. Julia and Ruth had spent an hour or more in decorating. "'Where did you get those beautiful orchids?' asked Edith. "'Why, Edith Blair,' answered Julia, I should think that you ought to recognize your own possessions. Your mother sent these in from your greenhouse in Brookline. Edith laughed good-humoredly. I thought that they had a kind of familiar look, but then other people have orchids, too. Well, other people have been generous, as well as your mother. I have quantities of violets besides these on the tables, and the most beautiful roses. And see this dozen of maiden hair fern and little pots? Almost every plant has been engaged by some of the girls at the tables. They are to be left with me until evening. What will you do with things that are left over? Oh, I've been told to do with them as I like. And probably they will be sent to the children's hospital. Shouldn't you think that a good idea, Edith? Oh, yes, the very best in the world. It would be fun to go up on the same day and see what the children say to them. Yes, provided we really do have anything left over. Of course it would be better if we could sell everything in the room. Yes, of course. When you can leave, do come over to my table for a minute. I want to ask your opinion about arranging something. It's awfully hard to combine the colors, and in some way Frances and I never agree exactly about things, though I try to see things as she does. And Edith walked off, sighing a little over her weight of responsibility for she had complete charge of the fancy work-table with Frances Pounder as chief assistant. Other girls from their group of friends were to relieve them at intervals during the day, 
but the responsibility of seeing that there were always two attendants at the table fell entirely on Edith. Belle had complete charge of the refreshment room, which was a small room off the dancing hall where the other tables were set. Brenda and she had chosen this department, but the latter had declined any responsibility. I wish to be free to move anywhere. I just hate having to stay in one spot. So ask as many others as you wish, Belle. Thus Belle had surrounded herself with half a dozen of the younger girls, and she was able to assume an air of authority over them that would have been impossible with the girls of her own age. There were three or four little round tables in this room beside the larger one covered with boxes and baskets of bonbons. At the little tables, the girls were to serve ices to all who wished them. "'Dear me,' fretted Belle, as she and Brenda stood surveying the room. "'Dear me! I wish that we had a larger room. This is going to be awfully crowded if we have many people, and there will surely be a crowd before evening.' I don't see what we shall do. Can't they take turns? asked one of the younger girls, who happened to be standing near. We could not have more than a dozen at a time, I should think. Oh, you don't know anything about it, Annie Bell, exclaimed Bell in a tone that brought tears to the eyes of the younger girl. Of course they don't expect that every one who comes to the bazaar will rush in here the first thing. But we ought to have a larger room. I'm almost sorry that I said I would take charge of this part of the bazaar. It's going to be a great deal more fun outside. Ah, well, replied Brenda consolingly. You won't have to stay in here all the time. The girls can look after things. And besides, I am not going to be away all the time. Oh, no, said Belle. If I undertake a thing, I always calculate to carry it through. Someone has to be here at the money table all the time, or else things will get dreadfully mixed up. Well, I'm sorry that you feel so, said Brenda. But as long as there is no one here now, I will go off for a while and see how Nora is getting on at the surprise table. As Brenda went off, Belle sat down at the little table which answered for cashier's desk. She had already taken in two dollars for bonbons, although as yet the bazaar had had but a few patrons. Toward noon about forty altogether had visited the bazaar. Among these were several elderly ladies and gentlemen, and a number of nurses with children, who patronized chiefly the surprise table and the refreshment room, and Belle had her hands full, making change and correcting the errors of her young assistants, with whom arithmetic was evidently not a strong point. At about one o'clock, the attendants at the bazaar began to go down to the dining room where Mrs. Blair had had a luncheon spread for them. "'How's business?' asked Belle of Nora, as they sat there over their salad and cocoa. "'Oh, fine,' replied the latter, expressively, if inelegantly. I've taken nearly twenty dollars, and the table looks as if hardly a thing had been touched. Julia and Ruth have done a great deal better, of course, and I wouldn't dare say how much Edith and Frances have made. They sold that set of chocolate cups for twenty dollars to old Mrs. Bean. That was more than they were worth, interrupted Belle. Oh, I don't know. They were lovely. There was ever so much work on them. Well, I suppose at a bazaar, a thing is worth what any one is willing to pay for it, but still, even if I could afford it, I would not pay twenty dollars for those cups. I didn't like the shape. You're too fussy, Belle, about little things. I've heard ever so many other persons admiring those cups, and Mrs. Bean thought that they were beautiful. Well, what else have they sold? I can hardly tell. I've been so busy myself, but the table begins to look just a little bare, at least in spots, and I know that even Frances thinks that they have done very well. 
You know, it's a great deal for her to be contented with anything. Well, I wish I could get someone to change with me this afternoon. I'm awfully tired of that little refreshment room. It will be more fun in the evening, but you ought to make Brenda take charge for an hour or two. Who in the world could ever make Brenda do anything? I know. She's a kind of will-o'-the-wisp, and she feels as if she were managing everything and everybody here. But then that does not hurt us, and it pleases her. Here Belle remembered that it was always her custom to stand up for Brenda, and in the fashion which is always rather annoying to the person who has not intended any offense, she said, Why, of course, we all understand Brenda, and for my part, I think that she is exactly right. Of course, she was the one who planned this whole thing, and except for her, no one would have tried to do a thing for the Rosas. Nora did not think it worth while to reply that she had not been the one to make any criticism of Brenda. Instead, she contented herself with saying mischievously, Well, you know that it was I who discovered Manuel, and if we had not had an object, we should not have had a bazaar. Belle had nothing to say to this, and indeed there was no chance, for two or three of the younger girls came down with a rush, thus reminding Nora and Belle that they ought to go upstairs again to their duties. By the middle of the afternoon, the bazaar was a scene of the greatest activity. Everyone was there, young and old, and the fancy work-table had really begun to look bare. One of Nora's brothers had to be sent downtown for a fresh supply of novelties for the surprise-table, as not only the children but their parents found great amusement in opening those bright-colored packages. Belle and some of the older girls regretted that there was nothing to raffle. Don't you honestly think that it is much more exciting to get a thing in that way than to buy it just as you would in a shop? asked Edith, who had been influenced by Belle to try to coax Mrs. Blair to change her opinion in the matter of raffles. But Mrs. Blair was firm, and she gave a reason so clearly that not only her daughter but all the others interested in the bazaar except Belle seemed convinced. I haven't said, she had been careful in explaining, that raffles are wrong. Only very often they lead to things that are not exactly right. It is hard to make the average person see why it is perfectly right to buy shares in a handsome dollhouse and wrong to invest in a lottery ticket. Oh, everyone understands about lottery tickets. Well, that may be true. Lotteries are against the law in this part of the country, and yet a raffle at a bazaar or other charitable affair is, to my mind, always objectionable. Some persons take their disappointment very much to heart, and— But, Mama, do you not call people very silly who take a little thing like that to heart? I may call them silly, and yet I cannot justify myself in causing them this discomfort. If a raffle should be held in my house, without going into all the principles involved, Edith, I am sure that you can see that I have good reasons for feeling unwilling to have any raffles at the bazaar. So Edith and the others had acquiesced, with only a slight feeling of rebellion when one or two particularly handsome things were contributed to the bazaar, which seemed almost too expensive to sell to a single purchaser. A strong reason given by Mrs. Blair against raffles had been her objection to having people urged to buy shares, and she had cautioned the girls to be careful not to try to influence their friends when looking at things on the tables to buy against their will. On the whole, did any action of this kind seem necessary, since almost everyone who attended the bazaar came as a purchaser, and as there was only one fancy goods table, there was no rivalry among the sellers. Some of the larger and more expensive things did not sell very readily, and Brenda was in a twitter, at least that was what Nora called it, 
about the fate of these things. There was one especially valuable thing, or valuable from the point of view of the four, a watercolor contributed by an artist friend of Mrs. Barlow's. He was a well-known artist, and his work was in demand, and downtown the picture would have brought a large price. The girls in making the price of articles for the sale had been uncertain what to do about this, and after long consultations with the older persons interested, had decided on one hundred dollars. The artist himself had acquiesced in this, for they had thought it polite to refer the matter finally to him. Everyone had prophesied that the picture would sell at once, yet for some reason or other by the middle of the afternoon it was still unsold. By four o'clock it seemed as if all Miss Crawdon's school had emptied itself into the pretty hall, and about this time Brenda began to yield to a little temptation. "'What are you and Belle so mysterious about?' asked Nora, as she saw the two busily talking in a corner, and evidently rather afraid of being interrupted. "'Oh, nothing. Only a little business.' Brenda had replied, and then she and Belle had resumed their conversation, which seemed to partake of the nature of calculation, with frequent references to a little notebook. After this Nora could not help noticing that Brenda devoted her attention to the older schoolgirls, and the college boys who in the latter part of the afternoon had begun to arrive in considerable numbers. "'What in the world are you doing?' she asked again and again, as Belle darted by as if searching for some special person or Brenda stalked up and down studying her notebook. Toward four o'clock there was considerable bustle at the entrance to the room, and Mrs. Blair's waitress, who had been standing in the hall, came forward with a message for Julia. At least she went up to the flower booth, and after speaking to Julia, the latter hurried forward to the door, where stood an old lady leaning on the arm of a tall serving-man. Who is it? Isn't she fine-looking? Oh, no, I think her rather queer. Whoever saw a turban like that? were a few of the remarks that flew around the room as Julia and the old lady with her attendant walked over toward the group of easy chairs which Mrs. Blair had thoughtfully provided in one corner. Why, it's Madame Dulani, cried Nora, who was really the first to recognize the occupant of the mysterious house near the school, and soon the news spread until there was hardly a person in the room who had not heard it. Everyone, naturally enough, was too polite to show her curiosity although it must be admitted that a few of the bolder wandered nearer to the seated group than was actually necessary in order to get a good view of the old lady, or to overhear a part of what she and Julia had to say to each other. At Julia's request, the waitress had found Mrs. Blair, and after making the necessary introduction, Julia had led Madame Delaunay, accompanied by Mrs. Blair, to the flower-table. No one who had ever heard Madame Delaunay called miserly, could have believed this true while watching her progress from table to table at the bazaar. Though everyone knew that she had her own little conservatory, she bought plants and cut flowers with great liberality, and while she always asked the price of each thing, she never demurred at the stated sum. When Madame Delaunay and her little party approached the fancy work table, Frances fairly bristled with importance, and displayed her goods as if conferring the greatest favor. In spite of this rather forbidding manner on the part of the young saleswoman, Madame Delaunay proved a good patron. She bought one set of Edith's doilies, as well as several smaller things, and then her eye fell on the watercolor, which, to display it better, had been hung on the wall back of the table. "'Is that for sale?' she asked rather abruptly. "'Why, no, or rather, yes, 
replied Frances, with a certain hesitation. "'At least it has been for sale,' she added. "'Is it sold?' asked Mrs. Blair, in some surprise. "'A short time ago I understood that you had not found a purchaser.' Frances reddened a little under Mrs. Blair's rather searching glance, and reddened still more deeply as Mrs. Blair continued. "'Has anyone bought it within the last half-hour?' "'Why, no,' said Frances, "'not exactly, although—' During this conversation an expression of annoyance had come over Madame Dulaunay's face. Apparently she was accustomed to having whatever she expressed a desire to buy, and this reluctance on the part of Frances was far from agreeable to her. It was hardly less distasteful to Mrs. Blair. "'I should think, Frances, that as valuable a thing as this would either be for sale, or if sold, would have had a purchaser whom you could mention.' "'I wish that Belle were here,' murmured Frances rather helplessly. "'Why, I thought that you and Edith had complete charge here,' remarked Mrs. Blair. "'Well, so we had. But Edith is resting now, and—' "'It is of no consequence, Mrs. Blair.' There are other pictures elsewhere that will probably suit me as well. Only I imagined that the young ladies wished to sell this one, interposed Madame Dulaunay haughtily, and holding her head rather high, she started in the direction of the surprise table. Now just at this moment Miss South, who had been amusing herself with some of Nora's funny little surprise packages, turned away from this table to meet Julia, who was walking a step or two behind Madame Dulaunay and Mrs. Blair. She had removed her hat and her wavy brown hair was dressed rather low on each side of her forehead, somewhat as we have seen it in the portraits of a generation or two ago. She smiled brightly as her eye met Julia's, and then she looked toward Mrs. Blair and Madame Dulaunay, whom evidently she had not noticed before, for as her eye fell on the latter, she gave a start of surprise. At the same time, the latter, with a gasp, leaned heavily on the arm of her attendant, and would have fallen had he not led her quickly to a chair. End of chapter 25 Recorded by Tara Mendoza Phoenix, Arizona, March 2011